Imagine you were being held in prison for sharing your faith in Christ. You were being beaten repeatedly. Then your captors come in and make you an offer. We're going to give you a car. We're going to give you a house. We're going to give you a position. We're going to take your entire family. We're going to offer them education. We're going to offer the, you, you know, your job and so on. If you will stop preaching the gospel. If you will convert to Islam. Today we'll hear about someone who faced that choice. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we're going to have the privilege today of talking with Brad Phillips. He is the founder and the head of the Persecution Project Foundation. That is the principal partner The Voice of the Martyrs works with in the country of Sudan. And I want to tell you a little bit about this interview. We actually recorded this interview many months ago, and we had it all ready to play for you. And then my friend and co-worker Peter Yasek, who we talked to here last week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, got arrested in the country of Sudan and put in prison and put on trial. And uh, one of the charges against him or, or one of the marks against him in the eyes of the Sudanese government was the fact that he worked closely with Brad Phillips and the Persecution Project Foundation. So we made the decision, hey, we're not going to air that interview while Peter is in prison there. We don't want to make things potentially worse for him. So we held off on airing it at that time. The stories that Brad is going to share with you are stories that challenge you, and they, they challenge me as well, to choose gratitude over complaining, to serve the Lord joyfully. We're going to meet some believers who are doing that, even serving the Lord in prison, even serving the Lord under torture. But before we get to those stories, we need a quick history lesson. In 2011, South Sudan broke away from Sudan. The original country of Sudan split in two, forming two countries, South Sudan and Sudan. One of the areas that remained under the control of Sudan is the Nuba Mountains. Around the time the two countries split, the Islamic government of Sudan launched a war on some of their own people, including those who live in the Nuba Mountains. Brad's going to tell you about a modern-day hero of the faith living in that area, but first let's let him fill in a little more background information. In Sudan, there's 50 different language groups. Some people say 100 different language groups or tribes that are known as Nuba. They have a, a history that goes back to Christian kingdoms hundreds and hundreds of years ago. In fact, 500 years ago, they were forcibly converted to Islam when the Moors came down from Spain. And in the last 100 years, really the last 75 years, there's been a resurgence of the Christian faith in the Nuba Mountains because of missionaries coming from America, from Australia, from England and other places. In about six languages out of those 50 of the major language groups, the Word of God has been translated into local Nuba dialects. And VOM has been actively engaged in bringing in lots of copies in print and digital form into the Nuba Mountains to those groups. And one of the most exciting experiences for me in the last three years was to get to know Matak. 
He's somebody who was the first convert in his community, which is the Krongo people in Brom County. He was one of, if not the first convert in Sunday school more than 60-some years ago. He's 78 years old now. And so as a boy, he came to faith in Christ, and he grew up to become a pastor, and he grew up to become basically the spiritual father of those people. As a result, of course, he became a target of the government, and they targeted him because they view, and they still view now, the gospel and Christianity as a threat to the state and as a threat to Islam. And so uh, I, when I met Matak, it was at a gathering hiding in the caves in the Nuba Mountains. We were being bombarded because they've begun an aerial bombardment campaign back in June of 2011. And we were actually at a worship service, and, and one of my friends there said, you need to meet this man, and I met him. And, of course, when you first meet someone, they don't tell you everything about themselves. But I could tell by looking at him that, that he bore in his body the marks of someone who had been tortured. But he also had just a, a peace and a joy that was recognizable. And uh, as I've gotten to know him in the last three years and basically find out that in his community, they they just view him as the spiritual father of the whole community. He's He's been personally responsible for discipling his nation of people and for planting the churches there in Brom County. Matak's story is amazing because um, he was given the choice over and again to uh, escape, and he was moved four different times from prison to prison to prison. Each time he was put through a process where he was offered, sometimes he was offered carrots and other times he was given the stick. On some days he was told, we're going to give you a car, we're going to give you a house, we're going to give you a position. We're going to take your entire family to Khartoum, and we're going to offer them education. We're going to offer the, you, you know, your job and so on if you will stop preaching the gospel, if you will convert to Islam. And in talking with him, he, he, he admitted, he said, I was tempted. So many times I was tempted. But he always came back to the realization of the cross. He always came back to the realization he belongs to the Lord, and he knew that God loved him because of what he did on the cross for him through his son. So he, he, he never was able to accept those offers, but then at the same time, on the other side, he went through tremendous beatings. He was beaten to the point of unconsciousness, um, recently had the chance to bring him out to another country for medical treatment, and we sat with the doctor as we went through x-rays and MRIs and everything else and interviews. And I learned even more of the gory details of what he went through. But And some things are just hard to even express or speak, but you can imagine. But, but um, he was beaten to the point of unconscious so many times that he broke several vertebrae in his neck. He broke a number of vertebrae in his lower back. He had problems with his bowels. He developed bowel cancer. He has problems with his eyes. He continues to suffer from headaches and all kinds of things because of the torture that he went through. But you expect when you meet somebody like that just to be hearing complaints <laughs> because that's what I would do. And um, instead, what the most shocking thing of somebody like Matak 
is you don't hear complaints. You, what The complaints that you hear is, oh, I miss so much the time when I was in El Obed prison. I miss the time when I was in El Fasher prison. I miss the worship time that I had with my brothers in prison. I wish I could go back, you know. <laughs> and uh, you think Which is it's, an amazing statement. You think, this guy, are you crazy? What they did to you. In fact, it was because of his success as a pastor and as an evangelist and in winning Muslims to Christ and winning to Arabs to Christ that they had to let him go because they feared— <laughs> He was converting too many people in yeah, the prison. He was converting too many people. They didn't want to make a martyr out of him because he had such a support um, in the Nuba Mountains and he was known. And they didn't want to give that victory to the church. But at the same time, they feared keeping him in the prison because he was taking not Africans and converting them to the gospel. He was taking Arabs who were in prison. Some of them were prison guards and some of them were prisoners or criminals or whatever, the reason that they were in there. And so in every prison that he went to, he had a church and they worshiped. So this is a man who really has the joy of the Lord, and he really has had more than one opportunity over a long period of time to count the cost and to take up his own cross and to be able to really make a choice to die. And his response was, I was willing to die. All that I had to do was be tortured. (laughs) All that I had to do was sit in prison all these years and be separated from my, my family. All I had to do was to fight against believing the lies that they were telling me that my family had died or or my wife or this. And he has nine children and he has grandchildren, but he has many, many, many thousands of spiritual children and grandchildren. And I've never seen a man treated with such respect in the Nuba Mountains. And you can walk almost anywhere And if you're with him, you might as well, it's like being with the president. When you hear a story like that, what questions do you ask or how do you respond? It makes it impossible for me to give up (laughs) because when you meet somebody like that, it's inspiring. And when you see all just the riches that this man has, you realize that's where it's at. This guy is rich. I want to be like him. Which is interesting that you say that he's rich because one of the things they offered him was riches. <laughs> yeah. they, they offered him money. They offered him a job. They offered him this. But now here he's been faithful and he's rich, not financially maybe, yeah. but in relationships and family and blessings. He's certainly a wealthy man. He really is. And what's exciting for me is that he's, he is such a reproductive Christian that he has borne many, many, many other Mataks. I meet with a number of them every time I go and see him. I, I meet other of his, of his actual family and his spiritual family. And you can just see just how prolific and effective he's been just, just by being faithful. Do they talk about the preparation to face persecution? Does, does he talk about how he prepares them, or do they talk about that, or do they just say, well, look what he did, and, and that's really all the preparation they need? I don't think in the Nuba Mountains people are discipled in a way where they're told, okay, now this is what you need to do to prepare yourself for the persecution. You grow up there, and you see and you know 
and you observe and you watch. The believers there know that there is a cost for becoming a believer. And they also know the cost of, of unbelief. They, they know what life is like for Muslims. And they know what's real and what's not. So if you're living in a place where your whole life you've been told you're worthless, you have no value, and in fact, if you don't come with us and change your name and reject your culture and reject your family and reject your identity, we're going to kill you. And then somebody else is teaching you, no, you do have value. In fact, you're so valuable that God was willing to sacrifice his son on the cross. It's a very easy choice. And, uh, and that's why so many Nuba are coming to Christ. I have with me just heroes that are working for us who are from Nuba. There's a young man who's, who's been working with us for about seven years. I only met him about eight years ago through, he was a relative of another worker who's working for us. But when I was in the Nuba Mountains in 2000, there was a famous event that happened that year in uh, February 2008. I actually wasn't there when this happened, but Holy Cross Primary School was targeted by the Antonov bombers. And there were more than a dozen, I think 14 children that were that were killed. My, uh, uh, I'm going to change his name on the radio here. Kahlo, I'm going to call him, who, was, who works with me now. His, his brother was among those that was killed. He himself was a student. He was, uh, he was, I guess, at that time, he was probably about 12 years old. And so he was hiding in the bush for about five days after that bombing because they just were relentless in bombing Kauda. They were trying to hit that school, and they did. And they, they killed a lot of children, and they wounded a lot of children. And so Kahlo was hiding for about a week before he found out that his brother was one of the victims. He's working with me. Recently, um, we buried his mother. His mother was a victim of a bombing May of 2014. We evacuated her out to Uganda for medical treatment, and we thought she was going to be okay, but she succumbed to her injuries, and she died in June. So this is the reality that these people are growing up in their whole life, but Kahlo, for example, was, was raised a Muslim. His father and mother were, were, are Muslims, but he was put in a Christian school because it's the church that's providing education in that area. It was a very easy decision for him to come to faith in Christ. You know, that's the reality in the Nuba Mountains. So I think, I think even though you have a lot of Muslims there, Nuba Muslims there, they're, they're, their heart is not in it. And they know historically, if, you, if they go back a few hundred years, that they were Christian. And so now, as the gospel is coming in, as the Word of God is coming in, and, and VOM is sending in thousands and thousands of scriptures, whenever we get a chance, more and more people are turning to Christ. What are some of the other things that Voice of the Martyrs is doing? Because you've mentioned Bibles, yeah. uh, you've mentioned some of the other, the medical care, but, yeah. but just talk a little bit about what VOM is doing in Sudan. I think VOM is really is doing a tremendous work in the Nuba Mountains, and, and it's really just a privilege to be able to participate in a small way. When the war started up, it started off with ethnic cleansing and massacres in the capital, Kadugli. Khartoum started a campaign of genocide again in 2011, picking up where they had left off in 2003. 
there were more than 7,000 Nuba that took refuge in the Unamis compound, which is the United Nations mission in Sudan, in Kadugli. At the time, the Egyptian forces were administering the Unamis compound. And these uh, 7,000, some people have said as many as 9,000 Nuba who were hiding in Unamis were betrayed by those Egyptian forces, and they were forced to abandon the compound. And the uh, intelligence services of the National Congress Party, of the, the SAF, the Sudan Armed Forces, were invited basically into Unamis to pull out all of the ethnic Nuba. And they targeted people on three criterion based on their, their race, were they Nuba, their religion, were they Christian, and their political affiliation. So if you fit into one of those three categories as somebody who is part of the opposition politically, somebody who is ethnically Nuba, or somebody who's a Christian, you are a target. And they pulled those people out. And the story that I heard over and over again in July 2011 in Kauda, in the rebel areas, was that they said they slaughtered us like goats. I know you've been to Sudan, Todd, and you've seen a goat slaughtered. And it's a really messy process. And they have a little dull, short blade basically cutting the head off of this animal. And that's what they did to 7,000-plus Nuba, uh, majority of them Christian, in June of 2011. And following that slaughter, they launched a campaign of genocide targeting the remaining 1.2 million Nuba in southern Kordofan state. They're using Antonovs and MiGs and Sukhoi jets to bombard those people, to force them to hide in caves so that they won't cultivate and live a normal life. And that's the circumstances, and that's what has created the environment uh, of there's just a tremendous need that, that VOM has been responding to, especially working through the church. And there are me- incredible medical needs, for example. VOM has been one of the first groups. I mean, all of the uh, foreign uh, NGOs were expelled by Khartoum. And VOM has been one of the few groups that's been willing to go back in there and um, and try to serve the people there, especially inc- encouraging and equipping the church. And so medical needs, VOM, I can say right now, is, without any exaggeration, is the largest provider of medicine in the Nuba Mountains. There's more than 160 different localities where there are some type of medical facility, and about 60% of those are being supplied by VOM. Um, water is one of the most basic needs uh, all over the world, and uh, most of the sickness and disease and dying is from water-related illnesses, meaning people are either they don't have water or they're drinking dirty water from hand-dug wells or from mud puddles. VOM has been responsible for, for helping us launch a campaign to repair broken wells. And Action Packs, which is uh, the heart of one of the donor-related outreaches of VOM ministry have have been a tremendous encouragement, especially to persecuted believers that have been displaced by the fighting. And we had uh, a wonderful opportunity recently to overcome a lot of muddy roads and insecurity issues and stuff to get a large consignment of of action packs up to thousands of families that are hiding in the mountains up there. And those are always accompanied with blankets and with Bibles and with other resources and materials to encourage those families there. 
of course, they're incredibly encouraged and grateful and singing and dancing and all kinds of things breaking out when those resources come. Just to be able to have a blanket or to be able to have a tarp to protect your family when it's raining and your children are dying from waterborne illness because they're exposed to the elements, it's a life and death difference. So people are incredibly grateful. We're working with a number of pastors there coming alongside the pastors. And these people are really courageous. They're like Matak. These are people that are um, going out, regardless of our involvement, they're already going out there and going door-to-door evangelizing their Muslim neighbors in some remote areas in the Duma Mountains. So when they get a bicycle or a motorbike or some type of resource that they can use as a tool, man, they're so excited. <laughs> and so... Again, life-changing. It's life-changing, and uh, it's life-changing for the people that they reach. Right. But it's also life-changing for them because they feel just so much more valuable, and they feel so much more capable with just some simple, small thing that we would take for granted every day. I want to talk a little bit about your experiences because... There's been some cost to this ministry for you, too. You've been robbed. You've had challenges along the way. Why do you keep doing it? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm asking myself that question sometimes. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I heard a good uh, message the other day from one of our friends talking about the different responses to um, opposition and— you know, if there are some people respond. They say, "Well, I'm going to carry on and and be faithful and and do this ministry, but as soon as I have any kind of difficulty or opposition, I quit." <laughs> then there's another category, or the lady or the guy says, "You know, I'll, I'm committed and I'm willing to die, but if my children are affected, I quit." And then there's the third category: people like Matak who say, "Well." I was willing to die, but the only thing that happened to me is I got tortured for seven years in prison, so I'm so grateful. So uh, I, I I definitely don't fit in that last category. You know, there's been a lot of times where you want to complain and you want to want to quit, but you you get inspired when you meet people like Matak and you and you think I want to be like that. And uh, I think for every person, you know, as a believer, you have peaks and valleys in your life and you have times when you when you fall but then you have to get back up. Peter betrayed the Lord but then God was still able to use him afterwards. Uh, you don't know how you're going to respond to difficulty until you're in difficulty and I don't think that there's anyone. I, I mean even talking with my talk I mean he he confessed so many things to me over the last couple of years through his experiences and at the end of the day, it was just the reality that God is real and that God is enough that sustained him. And I hope that's what will sustain me. Brad, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your ministry, for being our partner in Sudan, and for taking this time to talk to us here on VOM Radio. My pleasure. Thank you, Todd. We've been hearing from Brad Phillips telling us about our brothers and sisters in Sudan, who God is using in the middle of fierce persecution there. You heard today how meaningful it is when these believers receive a Voice of the Martyrs action pack. 
You can send one of these and encourage someone by meeting very practical needs as well as sending the message, hey, you're not alone. You're not forgotten. The body of Christ remembers you. We here at Voice of the Martyrs will send you a special bag along with a list of materials that you can place inside the bag. You fill it up, either buy the materials or if you have good used like clothing items, put those in the bag, send it back to us. We will make sure it is delivered to a Christian family who needs it in one of the hostile and restricted nations where we work. And again, Sudan is one of the nations where we're delivering action packs. You can get all the details on how you can send an action pack. You can even order the bag from us. We'll give you a link to find that information at vomradio.net. Again, that website, vomradio.net. While you're there, you can also hear past episodes of the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You can subscribe to our podcast, and you can even send me a note. Let me know that you're listening this week to VOM Radio. You know, one of the most hostile places to share your faith in the world today is the Islamic Republic of Iran. It's also got to be one of the worst places that you could get thrown in prison. Daniel Bauman has done both. And we're going to hear his amazing story next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.